Welcome to Solutions Cast, a CFC podcast that highlights cooperative network projects and leader stories, as well as economic and energy industry insights. I'm your host, Christine Pachenik, and today I'm here with Brad Janorski, General Manager of Homer Electric Association, located in Homer, Alaska. Good morning, Christine. Also here with me is CFC's Vice President of Utility Research and Policy, Jan Allen. Good to be here. Now, battery storage is a new and constantly changing technology uh, that we are trying to keep up with and learn a little bit more about. There definitely are different ways that electric cooperatives can use batteries as a solution to the challenges they each face, and a lot of our co-ops are unique. And I think that's a situation here that we're going to discuss with Brad, just how unique his situation is in Alaska. So, Brad, you recently installed a battery project, and I'm hoping towards the end of this episode that I'll be asking you about your top insights for electric co-op leaders. So I'm going to put that out there just to start you thinking about it. Uh, But can you tell me just a little bit about the unique circumstances of your cooperative's location in Alaska and just the general uh, information about your system? Sure, Christine, I'd be glad to. And uh, I appreciate you uh, requesting or asking us to participate in this podcast. Uh, it does give us the opportunity to get out there and talk more about the big battery project we are working on up here in Alaska. Uh, one of the neat things, it's uh, certainly a long way from the lower 48. And, and so one of the things we talk about even internally with employees and members is when you read articles about battery energy storage systems in the lower 48. Um, There's lots of good information there, but not everything necessarily will apply to Alaska. And I know Jan will get into that soon, but in our environment, uh, it is unique. Uh, It's it's kind of funny this year. I know you guys are getting a a warm, uh, a warm winter. And and quite frankly, uh, climate change certainly is not happening up here this year as our winter came in hard and early. And it's, uh, it is a, a typical old style winter and we're loving it. So one of the unique things about our system up here is um, we are spread out geographically over about 500 miles. Homer Electric, of course, serves the south end of the what we call the road system in Alaska, which about 70% of the population of Alaska lives along the road system between Homer and Fairbanks. Amongst between that distance, we have four generating uh, utilities or cooperatives that actually serve what we call the rail belt grid. That grid is broken up to really three load centers or population areas, one being the Kenai Peninsula where we're located, one in the center, which is kind of the Anchorage, Matsu Valley, Wasello, Palmer area, and the other one on the far north would be the interior, we call is, is Fairbanks and North Pole and Healy areas. Even though with each of those load centers, um, we have a relatively robust transmission system connecting these, those three populated areas is really an extension cord. It's a single transmission line, uh, that runs across public lands, uh, swamp lands, forests, mountain ranges, uh, unfortunately avalanche shoots. So we do get impacted by avalanches <clears throat> and essentially on the Kenai Peninsula where we're located, uh, it's about 150 mile extension cord. Uh, a 115 kV transmission line that connects us to the rest of the grid. Because of that unique nature of that really extension cord between load balancing areas as we have it, there are times we are self-reliant and we are on our own little island and we need to produce our own power 
and not only to meet our members' needs, but under an, as you're familiar with, an N minus one scenario where you may get an unscheduled trip of a generation unit. You need to keep the lights on. So that includes adding spinning reserve. So that's one of the unique things up here is um, we really are our own little islands up here, unlike the lower 48, which most utilities are part of a very large integrated grid. Yeah, so that islanded system is definitely a unique feature to your cooperative. And I imagine that large territory also poses quite a bit of challenge. Uh, Can you tell us about what your top challenges are that you're facing right now? Uh, Sure. In addition to the transmission issues I I mentioned, uh, you know, in a perfect world, we are in a fortunate position where we have some excess capacity and there are other uh, utilities, cooperatives that uh, are looking to uh, find less expensive power and and uh, we have the resources to give it to them. We just can't get it to them due to the lack of a robust transmission system. So one of our challenges really amongst all of us is trying to increase the uh, the tie between our different load balancing areas. Probably the other challenge we face is the high cost of natural gas. And I know in the lower 48, a lot of prices are tied to Henry Hub and, and, and they fluctuate up and down based on the season and, and what the winter looks like it's going to be. In fact, I heard the prices are coming back down because quite frankly, the winter's mild in the lower 48. And, um, e- even at their high prices, that looks like quite a deal compared to what we pay in Alaska. We are about 86% dependent on natural gas, which is a lot from a business perspective. It's a lot of risk to put on one commodity. Uh, and the last time a few years ago, we went out for a five-year base-loaded fuel supply contract. Uh, Christine, we had one bidder. One bidder and, um, and that fuel component alone represents almost one-third of our members' electric bill. So it's a lot of risk to put on a single commodity with only one supplier. And we're blessed to have that one supplier, but um, very unique uh, compared to the lower 48. And I think one of the things driving that single supplier is we just have a small market relative to any market elsewhere. Wow. Yeah. So that really, I imagine, has been a main driving point into this battery storage system. Now, you recently installed a 46.5 megawatt, 93 megawatt hour battery storage system. Jan, can you tell me that seems like a, a quite the storage system, right? That's a really big battery, honestly. I think it's the biggest battery on, the, on co-op lines um, uh, outside of both Hawaii and Alaska. Um, it's, a, it's a very large system, um, and I think it's for... The size of the system and the duration of the system, I think it works really, really well for exactly what uh, Homer Electric is uh, is looking to use it for. And Brad, can you tell us a little bit on the, the details of that project and the installation of it? Sure. I certainly would love to. In fact, I think Jan is exactly right. And one of my power production guys said the other day that, uh, yeah, the next closest one is 2,300 miles away <laughs> so, of this magnitude. And I'm like, yeah, that tells you how remote we really are. Um, it is, uh, Jan's right. We, we proceeded in installing, uh, 37 Tesla, uh, mega packs and, uh, at 1.25 megawatts a piece. And, uh, we did that after, 
Um, the board gave us a green light. We talked about it in 2019, and the 8th Homer Electric Board of Directors gave us the green light to proceed with an RFP to try and get proposals to put in a storage system. One of the largest drivers we were looking for in a storage system was spinning reserve. As I'd mentioned, we are connected to the rest of the, quote, grid in Alaska by a 150-mile really extension cord or 115 kV transmission line. In addition, we have lots of wildfires up here, but we had one a couple years ago. And in fact, I think it was that same year, uh, later that year, that burned through that transmission line and left us really islanded for between the fire and some scheduled maintenance. We were islanded about five months that year. When we're islanded, one of the things we need to do is bring on additional generation. It's called spinning reserve. And what happens in that scenario is we'll take our most efficient unit, a combined cycle plant, back it down so it's not as efficient. It uses more fuel per megawatt hour produced. We'll bring in another simple cycle unit, run that at an inefficient level, which in this case, it's an LM6000, and we'll have a hydro plant. So we always have to have three sources supplying our grid to keep the lights on. That's a great outline for probably one of the top reasons why you installed this storage system. Were there some other ones? I know you. we referenced your challenges. It seems like spinning reserve is something that is definitely a key component and definitely unique to your situation. Is stabilization a factor that you were looking at as well? Sure, it it is. It is, Christine. We were looking at uh, both our frequency, uh, primarily our frequency. We're trying to stabilize uh, as all the systems try and maintain sixty hertz, uh, maintain a very stable system. Um, we were noticing ours uh, bouncing around quite a bit. We we've seen it degrade over the years. Some of it's due to the increased number of aero derivative units that have gotten on the transmission grid in the system. They got away from the old frame units. Uh, one is the aero derivatives are more efficient, which is it's critical when the price of natural gas continues to escalate. You want the most efficient fuel burning units, and that's where we're at today. So one of the things, in fact, <clears throat> members have asked, you know, will the batteries uh, reduce the, the frequency of my lights going out? And our answer is generally, no, because usually your lights are going out because of trees on the distribution line, not due to a transmission issue or a generation issue. Uh, that's the biggest driver. Now, the exception, Christine, is we serve one of only two refineries in Alaska, and um, power quality or maintaining that 60 hertz is extremely critical for them. Um, they have been very clear that... Uh, Anytime we get out of a bandwidth plus or minus about uh, 0.2 hertz from that 60 hertz, they start to see issues. In fact, uh, they'll start to have uh, equipment start to trip offline. And in their mind, it's uh, um, if they get a blackout, you know, they've come back and said that's the most dangerous time at their refinery is after a blackout because they have lots of flammable uh, gases in hot places. And uh, they really go into panic mode for about 24 hours. Okay, that's really great insight, especially to how some your members are asking how this works too. That That's fascinating to me uh, because people do want to know more information about it. 
So is there is there anything else as far as the top need for the battery storage system uh, in terms of we're looking at this as a renewable? Sure, Christine. And, and that's really where our conversations with members and staff had been that I alluded to earlier about, you know, it's there's a lot of good information and articles from the lower 48 to talk about um, the, the purpose and intent of installing large storage facilities in the lower 48. And, and that is spot on uh, trying to help integrate non-firm renewable resources. And that certainly is uh, um, a feature that we will take advantage of and use that as well. Um, really wasn't the driving force when we first developed and decided to move forward with this project. However, uh, that was a couple of years ago and as technology has advanced and we are seeing more and more opportunities, uh, it's certainly something we intend to use it for. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really interesting point there, Brad. Um, and from my perspective, it seems like like Homer Electric may be a postcard from the future, so to speak, for a lot of the other electric cooperatives around the country. Um, and especially as it relates to reliability, stability of the system. Uh, many electric cooperatives have renewable energy targets or commitments. So the key issue here is, is how do you balance reliability and affordability with increasing amounts of variable renewable energy on the grid? Yeah, and, and Jan, you, you hit it right there. It's a challenge. In fact, one of the things we're doing now is we're working with two different models to try and determine how much non-firm renewable energy can we integrate into our system um, without impacting reliability and how can we do it affordably? As, as I mentioned earlier, we're 86% of our energy comes from natural gas with only one supplier. So we're really trying to you know, reduce that business risk and save our members money. And uh, as, as we move forward into that, um, we should have some results in the first half of 22, but we do, it, it's ironic since we built and have been building this battery energy storage system, we've had several independent power producers come to us and say, we're looking at a project. Can you help us out? What it would take to integrate it into your system? And one of the things that we need to know is, A, is how much non-firm can you really integrate into our system? without impacting reliability? That's the first question. Um, quite frankly, a wind resource located in our area is different than a solar resource. You know, in Alaska, as you guys know, and you could probably see, well, that's right, the audience can't see behind me, but it's snowing and it's, 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 the sun's just coming up and it's 1030 in the morning. So not a lot of solar production in the winter. Uh, and yet that's usually our highest demand due to the, the darkness and the, and the cold. And yet, wind production in the winter tends to favor the winter season over the summer. <clears throat> so maybe a combination of the two would help uh, solar and wind. But we are being approached uh, of that. And and to my staff is like, how much can we integrate and still keep our most efficient combined cycle plant running? But in addition, uh, what price would it take uh, to make it, you know, affordable? And so if we're going to integrate non-firm resources and it's going to destabilize our system and or raise our rates, I'm not so sure we're on board with that. And I think our goal is to offset the high price of gas for starters while maintaining a reliable system. 
That's all the time we have for this episode of Solutions Cast, but join me on the next episode for part two of my conversation with Brad and Jan as we cover how cooperatives are using battery storage, as well as Brad's experience in selecting Tesla as a vendor and his top insights for electric cooperative leaders. Don't forget to subscribe to Solutions Cast on your favorite platform and check nrucfc.coop slash solutions for more cooperative news.